Welcome, this is Michael Volkoff, and this is episode 38 of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Our episode today is an update on the special counsel's Russia investigation and the related Michael Cohen investigation. Hello, everyone, and thanks for joining me today on Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, a podcast focused on the legal and compliance industry. Today, I wanted to discuss current issues from my perspective uh, related to the Russia and Michael Cohen investigations. Uh, It's fascinating to watch, and I expect a lot of interesting issues to develop as the investigation eventually comes to a conclusion, which I think is still at least a year to a year and a half away. As an initial assessment, uh, I wanted to talk first about the special counsel's investigation uh, in what is called the Russia investigation, and it's divided into two components, in my view. Uh, One is a conspiracy to defraud or Uh, the U.S. election process, or what it's called collusion. Um, And the second part is the obstruction of justice investigation. On the first issue, I'm not convinced yet that the special counsel has actually collected uh, sufficient evidence uh, to prove that there was a conspiracy to defraud uh, the U.S. election and that there was uh, an illegal agreement or assistance provided by the Russians. Um, And I base that on several factors. One, um, there have been no guilty pleas from any cooperating witness yet to such an offense. There obviously are factual references to contacts with the Russians, but nobody has pled guilty, at least to our knowledge at this point, to that type of conduct or that type of an offense. So when you're building a case as a prosecutor, it's imperative that you make cooperating witnesses plead guilty to the same criminal offense or offenses that he or she expects to charge the defendants with or the defendant. So if we saw sort of Flynn, Gates, or others plead guilty to such an offense, that would mean that the prosecutor is then expecting to charge the other defendants with the same offense. In analogous circumstances in the Watergate case, remember The defendants were charged with conspiracy, and President Nixon was referred to uh, as an unindicted co-conspirator in the indictment. We have really no such circumstances here, and that's a big deal that you don't have sort of the connection between what the people have pled guilty to or underlying conduct, uh, and we see them sort of skirting around the issue uh, as well. The other... Uh, reason for my conclusion at this point is that press reports about witness interviews from, let's say, Sam Nunberg, Michael Caputo, uh, shows that they are still being asked a lot of broad questions concerning cooperation and relationships with the Russians. Did you hear Russian being spoken in the hallways? Um, Such broad questions would not be asked if the prosecutors had sufficient evidence and they would be more targeted to confirm details of what they already knew or underlying conduct they knew as the relationship between the Russians and the Trump campaign. Now, there are three big caveats uh, to my assessment. In other words, I'm not saying this is going to be the end result. Um, Things can change and will do so rapidly. One, uh, Michael Cohen could cooperate and who knows what he knows. Two, Roger Stone could be charged and cooperate. Notice, I assume, Michael Cohen is absolutely going to be charged with lots of offenses. 
and Paul Manafort, who is uh, still going to trial this summer in uh, Virginia on the first trial, the first indictment, uh, could cooperate. So my theory of the case, though, is relatively straightforward in terms of what the evidence is or what the, the sort of goal or focus of the, uh, the special counsel's investigation. Russian officials were promised sanctions relief when the new administration came to power. And in exchange, the Russians hacked, hacked the uh, DNC, the Democratic National Committee, secured the emails of John Podesta and others, and gave them eventually to WikiLeaks, uh, to Julian Assange, to release. Now, Trump and several others during the campaign, including Giuliani and Stone, hinted in advance about the release of the DNC emails, about the, uh, the upcoming, then upcoming uh, release of the emails, and those are important facts um, to me uh, in terms of the circumstances. Stone, Roger Stone, Paul Manafort, and Michael Cohen may be criti critical sources for this theory until their cases are resolved or, you know, they're being subjects or targets. Obviously, Manafort's already charged. Cohen is clearly about to be charged. Uh, and notice that Roger Stone has never been interviewed by, at least from press reports, never been interviewed by the special counsel. So we don't know. Uh, and that's usually a sign that they're investigating him and he's a serious subject of the investigation. So until those three issues are resolved or those three cases are resolved, we really don't know uh, where we stand in terms of the Russia investigation and in terms of what's shorthand is collusion. On the second issue, the special, and this is the obstruction of justice focus of the investigation, the special counsel, in my view, has assembled more than enough evidence to prove that the president obstructed justice. Despite arguments by various talking heads about the absolute power of the president's executive authority to fire any person for whatever reason in the executive branch, the primary basis for the offense is the firing of uh, you know, FBI Director Comey, and the contemporaneous statements made by uh, the president to Lester Holt on the nightly news interview, his subsequent statements to Russian officials the day after the firing of Director Comey, and the uh, statements that he made to Director Comey in the Oval Office meeting, uh, and the initial reliance on the pretextual, pretextual justifications put forth by the Attorney General Sessions and the Deputy Attorney General uh, Rosenstein for the um, firing of Comey. So what we know from the public evidence is likely to be cor corroborated by additional evidence concerning the president's conversations with other witnesses, including the heads of the intelligence agencies and the pressure he put on them to pre in turn pressure Comey to drop the investigation, insider testimony from others inside the White House, and corroborating emails I, uh, among other witnesses. So, like I said, some of the president's defenders have argued that the president's executive authority under Article One of the Constitution authorized him to fire uh, Director Comey for any reason, even if motivated by a desire to shut down the investigation. And that argument does not make sense, and it's frankly contrary to the history, especially President Nixon's uh, Watergate liability uh, in that case. So such an argument, for example, would mean that the president can use his lawful authority for unlawful purposes uh, without violating a criminal statute. So let's, what's the logic of that? 
He could sell pardons to the highest bidder. Uh, he could fire law enforcement officials to protect himself from a criminal investigation. Uh, as the argument goes, he is only accountable while in office for impeachment and can be removed from office, but he could not be punished when exercising his lawful executive authority. Uh, and there's, to me, the logic of that is just uh, unpersuasive. At some point, using lawful uh, authority for unlawful purposes has to cross the line into criminal territory. So, but my view on the obstruction evidence is that in the absence of proof of the first issue, the Russia collusion uh, theory, however, I do not expect that special counsel Mueller will recommend prosecution of the obstruction case against the president. Such a case, you know, strong on its own. There's plenty of evidence, but it'll beg the question, why would the president obstruct the investigation if he did not engage in the related criminal conduct? However, and this is a big however, there's one other possible scenario with which the investigation and possible prosecution can play out. If the special counsel is able to develop evidence of the president's participation in unlawful money laundering and other financial irregularities separate from the, Rus from the Russian election part, he probably, uh, and this would require the assistance of Michael Cohen and others, but money laundering and other financial irregularities which predated his election victory, President Trump's election victory, and possibly continued after his election, such evidence would provide the missing motive for the obstruction. In other words, such a scheme, for example, involving Cohen's involvement in the sale of real estate properties at inflated pro prices to Russian oligarchs to launder their funds could supply the missing motive for the obstruction intent. The president, under this scenario, was concerned that the special counsel's investigation would uncover his financial ties to prominent Russians and therefore needed to derail the Russia investigation. Such an, an explanation would make sense uh, given the president's reaction to the execution of the search warrants at Michael Cohen's office and residence and the public disclosure of the ongoing criminal investigation of Michael Cohen. So given the state of the investigations, it's clear that right now Manafort and Cohen are the two key linchpins to the investigation. They will face, in the end, the familiar cho choice. They either go to jail for a long period of time or they cooperate. And my bet is that Cohen for sure will flip uh, and probably do so before Manafort. I still expect Manafort to flip at some point, probably after a trial where he's convicted. So while we've all been following the developments of the Stormy Daniels and Cohen investigation, uh, the likelihood of criminal charges against Cohen for quote-unquote campaign violations are real, but in the end, only a minor point of a much larger criminal prosecution. The timing of the hush payment, uh, for example, to Stormy Daniels in the middle of October is a critical fact that gives prosecutors uh, the strong inference that keeping Daniels quiet was the motivation in large part um, for making the payment, which was in reference to the upcoming election. It was, I mean, two to three weeks before the election. But remember that election uh, charges carry relatively low penalties under the sentencing guidelines, 
and in comparison, the money laundering and potential fraud charges are really not going to drive the sentence of Michael Cohen very much. Uh, the ultimate exposure that he has is more from money laundering, which is a much more serious offense under the federal sentencing guidelines, uh, as well as some of the fraud uh, charges that we may be looking at as well. So, uh, and lately, uh, you know, press reports, much has been made about Cohen's collection of millions of dollars that was funneled through his consulting company, Essential Consulting, and the possible connection to President Trump. So, for example, let's take uh, the, the facts that we know right now. If Cohen was collecting such money in exchange for, quote-unquote, official acts to be provided by President Trump or any other administration official, then we have a clear case of bribery um, and illegality under the domestic bribery statutes. If Cohen, however, collected the money and agreed to lobby Congress or the president without any involvement or knowledge of the president or sharing of proceeds with the president, Cohen's exposure may be minimal unless there were you know, fraudulent aspects to the transactions. Uh, if he agreed to lobby Congress and he didn't file a uh, congressional lobbying uh, disclosure, uh, there are penalties for that. But I have a feeling that uh, at least in one of the engagement letters, uh, they specifically excluded lobbying because of Congress because they didn't want disclosure uh, of that information. So a further complication, though, for Cohen is the idea that uh, uh, Rudy Giuliani was uh, mumbling or bumbling about which was that, uh, that the, the president repaid Cohen for various payments using a $35,000 monthly retainer for no services as a means to do so. Uh, and that assumes that uh, Giuliani's babbling comments are somehow accurate, uh, but I really don't even, you know, we can't even credit him as to, you know, being rational or whether or not he was actually uh, talking about serious facts. One other point that should be considered about the Cohen case, and let's go back to this for a minute, which is uh, why did the special counsel refer the matter to the Southern District of New York and not keep control of it? Now that we know uh, surrounding the, the Cohen investigation that, that the special counsel followed many leads in the Cohen matter, interviewing Vexlisberg when he arrived at the country, the uh, the Russian oligarch from whom he received $500,000 uh, and the special counsel when he showed up uh, coming into the United States, Vexelisberg, they interviewed him. Uh, that was in 2017 uh, when Cohen chased Ford Motor Company for uh, money after Cohen, you know, when Cohen called them up and said, hey, you better hire me, who went and talked to them? Well, the special counsel did. So it's clear that given the evidence or the lack thereof of the connection between Cohen's actions and Russia's uh, involvement in the Russia you know, election scam, if there was, uh, in terms of my theory of the prosecution. Uh, so given the fact that Cohen, none of that evidence was coming out and panning out in these follow-up matters by the special counsel, the fact is the special counsel reached the conclusion, given his mandate as the, uh, on the investi 
Russia investigation, that there was insufficient evidence to continue to investigate Cohen on that specific part of the investigation, and therefore referred the matter so that the um, uh, Southern District of New York could follow up on all the many other criminal aspects of Cohen's behaviors. So Cohen has plenty of criminal exposure, but what's interesting is that Mueller did not pursue it, so it must not have been connected to the Russia aspect of the case. Uh, and that means the leads that he followed up turned out to be um, uh, insufficient. So, uh, and Mueller must have reached the conclusion that the Cohen uh, Ill you know, illegal conduct was too attenuated from the mandate, so he referred the matter. Now, if Cohen gets charged, which he will, in the Southern District of New York, and ends up flipping and cooperating, you can bet your bottom dollar that Mueller's prosecutors will end up uh, speaking to him and debriefing him and trying to get information. So the last issue I wanted to discuss is the president's interview. There has been a whole lot of hot air around this issue. Uh, and in the end, I expect Special Counsel Mueller to issue a grand jury subpoena to give him the leverage that he needs uh, to you know, negotiate a resolution in terms for an interview. If the president decides to challenge the subpoena, he will eventually lose, even at the Supreme Court, following the U.S. v. Nixon uh, Supreme Court precedent. Now, obviously, that case dealt with issuance of a trial subpoena for Nixon's tapes, but the Supreme Court ruled unanimously, eight to nothing, without Rehnquist, uh, that no one is above the law and that uh, everybody's entitled to evidence uh, and the president can't hide behind the shield of executive privilege. Um, and I think in the end, the president may forego the negative publicity surrounding such litigation and negotiate the terms for an interview. Uh, remember, President Clinton was issued a grand jury subpoena and terms when finalized, uh, and then they negotiated terms for the interview, which happened on videotape in the uh, White House. And we may have a similar sort of uh, circumstances. That will eventually happen here. Whether it goes to the Supreme Court or whether the president negotiates a resolution, he's going to get interviewed. Now, uh, could he take the Fifth Amendment? Yes, he could take the Fifth Amendment. And frankly, uh, given the president's Teflon uh, image, I'm not sure that that would um, have much impact on his supporters uh, if he did take the Fifth. So, the special counsel has to hear, though. He has to interview the president. And the answers are especially important when it comes to the obstruction case, where so much will turn on the president's state of mind at the time. So we could have a situation, and this is there's one sort of really complicated resolution that could come about. The Mueller could reach the conclusion of his investigation, find that there's sufficient evidence on the obstruction, but note that uh, the Russia aspect, the collusion part, is not proven. There isn't any evidence or sufficient evidence to, to charge anybody in that part of the investigation. But then, what happens if the motive for the obstruction of justice is actually unleashed by the Cohen investigation, uh, and that being the money laundering activities of the president for many years uh, and other criminal behavior? What if that part relates to another part of the uh, president's, uh, of the special counsel's investigation. That would be an interesting resolution uh, in how that's handled in terms of the 
delivering a report to the Congress uh, and how you merge those two aspects of the investigation would be very interesting to say the least. Anyways, so that's where we are right now. We'll be back. I'll be back with more as, uh, you know, we see developments occurring. Um, and uh, we'll obviously be following this issue. It's, uh, it's important and it's interesting. Thanks again for listening to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Please subscribe to the podcast series. The Volkoff Law Group believes that every company should have a robust ethics and compliance program. Experience and research show that ethical companies are better performers in the global marketplace. At ethical companies, employees believe in the company, they feel vested, and are more productive. As a result, misconduct rates are much lower and financial performance is higher. We can help you achieve these benefits through an effective ethics and compliance program. You can learn more about our commitment to effective ethics and compliance programs at our website, www.gofuckslaw.com, our award-winning blog, Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, and uh, our podcast Contact me at my email address, mvolkoff at Let us know how we can help you.